Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, I think we're live, fellas. Let's get going. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Blostein, Chris Nee, and a special mailbag. mailbag. I don't love the enthusiasm. Mailbag episode of On the Bench, kind of an impromptu live episode here. We just decided to all get together, talk about some things that are coming up this week, and answer your questions in our mailbag. Chris, girl. Oh, my God. All right. First, before we get going, and I'm going to need the energy to be amped up a little bit here on Monday morning. Uh, let's give a shout out to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey, making some delicious whiskey, bourbon, rye, uh, just mixed uh, blended beverages as well. They do a fantastic job uh, and you can check them out anywhere, pretty much in the state of Florida at this point. If you're in Florida, you go to Publix, you can go to ABC, you can go to Total Wine, you can go to your local shop, find Chattanooga Whiskey. Their 111 proof Christney has fallen in love with. It is a phenomenal cast strength, a variety at a, a pretty good price, too. So they're doing a great job. Love them before they were a sponsor. Love them even more now. Uh, and also the Turner, Turner Group. Oh my God. I, what's happening? Am I not setting you guys up well or you just don't care? What's happening? Turner Group. Okay. <laughs> the Turner Group. Uh, Colin and Amy Turner are uh, doing a fantastic job in Central Florida, buying, selling homes, making it easy for customers. They do a ton of business, and it's because they do things the right way. Uh, listen, they're under the Keller Williams umbrella. If you are looking to buy or sell in the state of Florida in general, specifically you work with Colin in Central Florida, but if you're looking to buy in the state of Florida or sell, and now rentals as well, they're starting to get into uh, as well in Tallahassee and Gainesville, uh, you reach out to Colin Turner. And, and if you're a parent, who's students about to go to Florida State, I would really recommend reaching out to Colin Turner because he's got a pretty good idea of how to get um, a money-making process of buying a home, renting it out, and then you go ahead and rent it out to someone else and rent it out to someone else down the road. It's a really, uh, it's something that parents are doing more and more of, and he's starting that that industry in, in Tallahassee and uh, anticipate that to, to blow up. So you can reach out to Colin Turner, Google the Turner Group, and uh, you get all his contact information there. All right, guys, uh, we're going to get into the mailbag here in a second. Uh, before we do, you guys were on the bench pretty much all weekend. Uh, let, let's talk about that real quick. And we'll start off with Ashlyn Barker, the JUCO safety who is visiting. Uh, we started off the weekend with one crystal ball in for him. I believe there's now two crystal balls in. So let's let's talk about who dropped the ball. Chris, I put a crystal ball in. Uh, <clears throat> I think I did it on Saturday. It might have been Friday. I can't recall exactly. I've expected FSU to get him since they offered him about 10 days ago now when they went over there when Adam Fuller went to IWCC. So uh, he fills a need. He's a kid with four years available physically. I think they really liked what they saw when he got on campus. That was probably the biggest feedback I got in person and chatting with people this weekend was they were just excited in general about how he looked physically, how he checked out. You know, obviously Adam Fuller had seen him when he got to see him in person, but others had not. And, yeah, that's about it. I feel like if you're going to 
take a, I guess, a gamble because you haven't seen him play actual football in a year other than practice film. And he was from a, a high school program that wasn't particularly very good. So, so there's going to be some variables, some unknowns with, with this kind of uh, roll of the dice. I like taking on this type of player. He's got a lot of upside in, in a Chris Neism. He checks a lot of the boxes, right? He's got good GPA. Uh, he has an ideal prototypical frame, about six foot three, maybe a quarter of an inch shorter than that, 200 pounds. So he's got size, length at safety, actually the frame to grow into linebackers, something that Zach has talked about before. And then you watch his highlights in high school and you see premium athleticism, at least flying downhill. You see some turn and run ability and coverage as well. I think that remains to be seen if he can do that at a, at a high end level, at the power five level, but the ability to impact the run game, to be rangy, to defend the perimeter. I love taking a roll of the dice on, yes, there's unknowns, but there are NFL legit like skill sets here with Barker. So uh, I predict that he's going to go to Florida state. There's a pretty good chance by the time you guys are listening to this on Monday uh, that, that he would be uh, committed to FSU. If that does happen, Zach, is he enrolling this week? Is that what would happen? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, Florida state starts uh, a session of summer uh, classes this week uh, on Monday. Obviously there's like a, um, a period to which you know someone can enroll a little bit later i'd expect if if ashland barker does commit to florida state that he'd enroll at some point this week to add on barker during the exit interview on sunday uh, he said fsu's initially looking at him as a high safety and then he'll develop into more things like doing a nickel roll and stuff like that i think he's very much a ball safety a guy that can help you a lot in that regard yeah i think the thing that that florida state loves the most about him <clears throat> is he's a willing tackler um, he comes downhill and, and gets after it. And after seeing him in person at one of Iowa Western's practices, I think now like about two weeks ago, I was told that they they were um, impressed with his ability to to um, be you know solid in coverage. That's not probably the strength of his game, but it's something that they feel comfortable enough with him to uh, to take him and take a chance on him. A guy that you know obviously kind of fell through the cracks we've talked about at length in the high school ranks um went juco just to explore more opportunities not because of a great issue he's always been you know a a top you know student athlete um and a guy who i'm told has a 4.0 gpa coming out of juco so straight a's um and like brendan said i was told he measured in six two uh three quarters and just over 200 pounds on his visit which is something that fsu is very excited about Chris, you want to hear my player comp for him? Sure. Shaheem Brown. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, a you know, multitude of variety of things he can do. So I, I think that's a fair one. I don't love player comps, as you know. I think Shaheem's a little bit more athletic. I'd agree with that, too. But <laughs> I like more fleet frame. of foot. Yeah, I like the frame on, on Barker more. So let's see as we get into the mailbag. There, I'm going to bring the energy because you guys are just letting me down. Uh, Tanner Norris one asked, any chance Keon Coleman makes it back to campus this weekend? And as I showed up on the YouTube feed a minute ago, we got like three of the first questions here are about Keon Coleman. So he is someone that everyone wants to know about. Understandably so. He is probably the best player remaining in the transfer portal at any position right now. And someone who FSU is very much in it with. Uh, the, the Michigan State wide receiver had almost 800 receiving yards last year. He officially visited FSU a week ago. He then followed up with an official visit to Ole Miss, shut things down basically, said he was going to weigh over, mull over his decisions. Uh, we had heard a late May commitment for him, like 
like next week, May 24th, 25th range. Uh, but that might be moving up. So I guess that might be the latest, fellas. I don't know where we want to start with this. Oops, I hit a desk. I'm at my mom's house right now, and I'm not used to sitting in this particular venue. I'm all over so the place. What do we know on Keon Coleman? I spoke to somebody in his circle on Friday at 12.26 p.m., uh, confirmed that he was down to two schools, those two schools being Florida State and Old Miss, both of whom he's already taken an official visit to. And I asked a uh, decision timeline by next weekend. I'm sure of it. that's the exact wording that was shared. Now I followed up and asked uh, yesterday, last evening, if he was going to decide this week, there's a rumor of Wednesday. I believe it's supposedly his birthday. I don't know for a fact it's his birthday, but that's a rumor. Uh, and also asked if there was any possibility of an official visit return to Florida state or any other visits. I no response on that. So I don't really have anything to contribute. Yeah. I will add uh, our Ole Miss site on 24 seven inside the rebels, just posted an article um, talking to a source close to Keon Coleman said it, it the, his choice is down to Ole Miss and Florida state. Um, he said, the source said he tells me everything is dead even and that the topic of NIL came up and he said that Florida State and Ole Miss basically made the same offer. It was for the same amount. Um, and then when asked about a decision, if you look up Keon Coleman's birthday on Google, it says May 17th, so it would be on Wednesday. Um, and when asked, the the source said, I think that might be a good date, adding that he could pull a trigger any time before or after May 17th. There's rumors going around that he'd be coming to campus again this week for a visit. We haven't confirmed those. I don't. Yeah, um, I'm told that's not planned right now, but that, you know, there's always a possibility, I guess. We're going to be camping out on the bench, I'm sure, waiting to see. Oh um, I got a take on this, guys. I think you have to get Keon Coleman at this point. And why? <laughs> thanks, Chris. <laughs> I think the Turner Group. Um, <laughs> sorry, Colin. He is. So I mentioned earlier, he, he is the best player in the transfer portal right now that it is attainable. He's at a position where you can reasonably get an upgrade. Like wide receiver is solid, uh, but there's a chance you, you lost both Micah Pittman and Ontario Wilson. Those are your two out of three stars last year. The idea of going with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman as your nucleus at wide receiver and then building around that gives you what might be the best one-two punch in the country outside of Ohio state's wide receivers. Like it gives you a legitimate elite uh, group on the outside with your already elite quarterback. Uh, and so the idea to me, you see a lot of NFL teams do this. You strengthen a strength, you sharpen a strength. You don't necessarily uh, take your, your resources and try to uh, take a below average unit and make it average necessarily. Uh, if you can go ahead and take a really good one and make it great, that might have more dividends and, and gains for you, like in the long run. So the idea of Florida State being a couple pieces away from going, you know, we think right now they have a chance to be a playoff team. But do either of you guys think that they could advance and play a meaningful championship game in the playoffs right now as the roster is currently comprised? I mean, I football that- is a weird game, but I think it, I, the overall arcing, overarching view is greed is good. Get as many really talented players as you can. And Keon Coleman's a kid capable of being a thousand yard receiver who can post likely double digit touchdowns and a maximized year with a high level quarterback, which we know FSU has at their disposal. Um, I think he's very important for FSU. I think safety is still a greater need for FSU. I guess it's the best way I would put it when viewing the current market and what FSU is. I also think if FSU does miss on Coleman, there are some other options. First name that comes to mind is Zakari Franklin, wide receiver from Texas, San Antonio, UTSA. Uh, Been very quiet on that front. 
Franklin isn't talking to anybody to my knowledge. Um, but FSU and him have talked. They have had contact. They have had communication. That's the extent of what I know about that recruitment with regards to the Seminoles at this time. Ryan asked, didn't you say on the Friday pod that you wouldn't reset the market for Keon Coleman Sinone? I did. And you know what? I thought about it this weekend. I would reset the market for him because there's no, there's nothing else. So that's, but there's also the dynamics of the current team that you have that exists. I, I don't know if bending over backwards financially to essentially buy a kid for lack of a better term, if it's necessarily the best thing for inserting into the locker. I, there's a lot to consider there outside of just simply attaining one single player, in my opinion. I mean, if he only wants to go, if he wants to go to school only for it to be the highest bidder. So there's some gray area here too. Like I don't necessarily think FSU has to uh, keep upping whatever Ole Miss would have to get a guy like Keon Coleman with NIL opportunities. I don't think that's what would be the case. I think more so is you have to be close to it. Now, if he's saying, yeah. if he's someone in his campus saying that the offers are very close, that's great. I think that really bodes well for Florida State. Because the initial intel that we had was that Ole Miss was resetting the market of like two times what like was a reasonable price point for him. Um, so if you're relatively close and he wants to come play for you, like I think that's where you want to be as, as a program where he's willing to take a little bit of a discount to play for a, a established program that is ready to compete for something meaningful in the postseason and where he could help you like take things to another level. Um, there's, there's just not a whole lot else left like to help you get over that hump that's on the market right now, he has a chance to do it uh, to get you there. It just doesn't exist. Like a guy like Keon Coleman, there aren't many more of those guys hitting the market. So yeah, if you're having to go ahead and, and pay him the second highest ro- amount of money on the roster for NIL opportunities, then, then yeah, then it's probably not worthwhile. But like, I don't think that's the case. And that's kind of the gray area that I'm talking about. That's my take. I think you need to go get Keon Coleman. If, if you can get close to, to getting him, uh, you have to go all in and, and do whatever you can to get him. Yeah, I will share from the FSU side and discussing Coleman. It's been consistent. We're not conceding him. We're recruiting him to the end. They're making an effort. Till that kid makes his actual decision announcement, probably enrollment, FSU is going to be in the game. Uh, and then, Chris, you mentioned uh, Franklin from UTSA as well. Uh, there's some communication, we believe, a, a little bit on FSU. From what, I've, from what I've been told, he has had conversations with head coach Mike Norvell. But I've, I've tried everything to get a hold of Franklin. I know Zach has as well. Chris Hummer that works with us within the company has as well. It's, it's To date, it's been impossible. I mean, I haven't got the uh, good old, I've had, give me I've one second one and let me hang up on you. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've had one conversation with him, um, and that was really early on in the process. And he didn't have any visits and, or anything set up wasn't really willing to talk about interests or anything like that either. Um, uh, it was a short conversation, but since then, no luck. I remember a time when we thought, remember Berg and I talking about this, we thought that covering transfer recruits would be a more streamlined process in terms of just like them being very business oriented. Yes, no, this is what I'm doing. And then you hang up. Uh, it hasn't been the case necessarily. Some guys are like that, but others are really hard to get a hold of. It, it's the same as high school recruiting, basically coverage wise. Yeah. One thing I'll share on Franklin is that I have heard some chatter, and I don't know whether or not it's true, but it makes sense because I know Texas A&M's in the market for a wide receiver. I know they got a D2 kid here in recent days, but if you can get a kid of the type of like a Franklin, you go after, and they were pursuing Coleman too, for example. I think there may have been some push there from schools in that region to push him into the portal to make an effort. But to my knowledge, I don't know if I'm visiting anywhere, so it's kind of tough to know. But like I have heard SMU, Texas A&M, uh, 
some others in that Oregon. Oregon was a school mentioned. Really yeah, they were on. mentioned early on, and LSU was mentioned because Frank uh, Martin, who's at LSU, helped recruit him to UTSA. But LSU's receivers are is very good. I don't see Franklin fitting into that. We are 15 minutes into the podcast, and we've answered one mailbag question. But uh, but I think we've talked. We gave on, the people what they wanted, though. We we've touched on the two most important topics. All right, I'm going back to the message board here, pulling up our mailbag. Oh, there's Zach talking in the bottom right corner when he was on the recruiting show the other day. Hi, Zach. See you in multiple places. That's cute. Bloom24 asks, what are your thoughts on the new running clock rule after first downs? So there's no running clock now, or there is a running clock now. The clock does not stop after first downs. Uh, I hate it. I think that's something that made college football unique. It provided a schematic uh, advantage for some teams. I don't know. What are we doing? We need to continue to speed up the game. As a baseball fan, I've enjoyed baseball more this year than past years because games actually move at a better clip. But I don't think that's solely the answer. I think shortening the time for reviews to be allowed, shortening the amount of reviews, uh, changing the way games are officiated from a slowdown standpoint, I think there's a lot that can be done there to help speed it up. So I don't know if that's the right answer, but we do need to speed up football games. I don't – yeah, I don't – I think they – you're speeding up the wrong thing, right? I think – if they're going to speed up anything, it should be like what you said, Chris, the reviews, the dressing of the game, right? Like the the commercial breaks, like that's the stuff that needs to be sped up, not the actual game. Because if you think about it, the actual game is not that long. It's everything surrounding the game that makes it that long. Um, and I think it's this is just a, a cop out for them to to be able to make as much money as possible while also shortening the game um, for, for viewers, uh, I think. <clears throat> I think I would have liked to see more of a, of a shortening of, of some of the stuff surrounding the game rather than the game itself. Yeah. The touchdown review kickoff commercial touchdown review, commercial kickoff commercial is about the most brutal thing in the history of athletics. Yeah, yeah. But, but TV, TV stations and, and we do work for, for Paramount aren't, aren't cutting out the amount of commercial breaks and the opportunities to fill ads. So that that's not what's going to happen. Like that's not how that's going to work, but yeah, a review taking, Three, four minutes uh, is is something that you can do to probably speed that up when there's a couple of those a game that, that does add up. I, don't, I just like – I like that that was something that was unique to college football. I think it's – I don't know how it helps the ultimate product. I don't think people are like, oh, the, the, the clock the clock isn't running. This this, this game is boring now. It actually makes it more exciting, leads to more points and, and more up-tempo stuff. So, anyways, uh, Eskimo Randy, at what point does being – in the? I love that name – uh, at what point does being in the ACC become a major hindrance to recruiting? In a few years, will recruits view ACC more like a G5 conference than the Power 2? Uh, there's definitely going to be a tier system. Fellas, I would start off the bidding by saying that being in the ACC has already become a major hindrance. In order yeah, to- I, I was going to answer with 2018 or so. I was going to throw it a little bit back to the future there. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not advantageous. Listen to most college athletes talk about the SEC. The big has the money to compete, and then there's the ACC. So think about it financially. If the if the ACC is making schools and the ACC are making thirty million dollars less a year than the SEC or Big Twelve or Big Ten, excuse me, Big Twelve is going to start. Like UCF is going to be making more money annually off TV contract than Florida State is soon. Like yeah. if you're at a thirty million dollar disadvantage every single year, and yeah, that's going to the athletic program, not necessarily recruiting, but you know, now you're trying to raise money for NIL stuff. And guess what? You can go to boosters. If you're an SEC school, you can go to boosters and say, well, we got this money for our facilities here. 
we would like a little bit more money for our NIL to be more robust. You can do that. You have, Florida a bigger, State, you have to ask for both. Yeah, Florida State, you have to ask for both. And, you, and you're many times pulling from the same pool or asking the same people. So, um, yeah, it, it is a problem. It is already a hindrance, in my opinion. Do you agree with that, Zach? I agree. I think yeah. Go that's going to be a huge topic of discussion this week, right, at the uh, ACC meetings um, at Amelia Island. I mean, I think the ACC needs to figure out something when it comes to revenue sharing because Florida State and Clemson – um, are pretty much carrying the conference when it comes to revenue, uh, you know, the amount of revenue that's coming in. And, you know, right now there's an equal structure, which I don't think is fair. And I think Michael Alfred has expressed that multiple times, and I think he'll do it again. Although in a short window um, this week at, at the ACC meetings, I think it's important. Um, and, and when it comes to recruiting, definitely. I definitely think the ACC is at a disadvantage to the other Power Five uh, or power two schools, if you want to call them, like you said, in the, in the mailbag question. Um, and I think that's only going to increase as the gap uh, in, in, you know, the difference in money uh, over the years uh, accumulates. I'll be in Amelia Island. The meetings start today, but I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. Usually Monday's a slower day. I'm going to jinx myself and I'm sure something crazy will happen today. Yeah. Florida State's going to lead the ACC today. Yeah, so it's going to be Florida State, Clemson, Miami, or, or some of the programs that are publicly pushing for uh, a change in, in revenue to make it more weighted. Here's the thing, though. If you're Wake Forest and or Boston College and you know that these schools are trying to get on the way out, uh, why? what's the incentive? Like, Are you trying to keep things together? Uh, are, are you trying to keep things together currently? and try to keep it to where Florida state wants to stay when, you know, there's not really anything you can do to like really make that $30 million gap up for Florida state or, or Clemson to feel good. I, I just, I, I don't foresee some of the lesser programs in the ACC from a revenue standpoint, from a, a fan interest standpoint in football willing to concede like millions of dollars when they're already at a disadvantage too to give more to be at a further disadvantage in their own conference. Like I just, I don't, I don't think there's going to be enough of that teamwork, camaraderie, let's keep the ACC going type of thing to to make that concession. I'm skeptical on that. I think this is more just posturing from Florida State and Clemson and the Blue Blood side to go ahead and try to make things uncomfortable for the conference and, and to maybe uh, those show those middle-tier programs like, like Louisville, like NC State schools that might want to move out and try to find options elsewhere if things end up going that direction where, where it becomes untenable. Uh, I think you want to try to make things uncomfortable for them and, and show them like, hey, this this isn't a long-term functional conference. If you guys all leave, that can make Grant rights easier for us to get out of. Is is there something to that you think, Chris? Well, in conversations about unequal revenue sharing, I've always kind of been told that, to that topic is kind of dead on the floor from the word go. Like yeah. it's just not something that most believe is a reality that can happen. But I do agree that I think it's a matter of making people uncomfortable, Make, making people completely understand that we're on the verge of hiring a divorce lawyer and getting the hell out of it. Yeah, you're posturing. You're making statements at this point. Uh, NRG Noel asks, who are the best five offensive linemen on the team? I like this question. I think it's a good exercise because I was looking through the offensive line the other day, Chris, and I think there's like a tier of seven who I would feel comfortable starting with and then the next tier of like three more to get to 10 that you feel okay with younger guys pretty much. But like you have seven who I think you feel good with uh, entering the season. I'm curious who you think your five best are that you need to build around. Uh, healthy Robert Scott. Okay. Bless Harris. Marie Smith. Uh, 
the one who I can't name because of the the you know the restraining order. Yeah. order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, who would be my fifth there? I, That's I, Jeremiah Byers, by the way. Yes, Jeremiah Byers. Thank you. Well, thank he you said it. Um, fifth would be, I don't know. It, it feels kind of tough squeezing a couple out from being that fifth. Um, in the sense of versus six and seven sacks, stop it. Uh, give me the answer. What's the right answer? I mean, I mean, I'm, I would be between Casey Roddick, Demetri Emanuel, and Darius Washington are the three. Yeah, I'd there, probably go with Meech. I'd um, probably go with Meech because he's a large bodyguard who's done a lot in the system that he's in and did a pretty good clip, and I expect him to be in a little bit better shape this coming year, allowing him to take a little bit of a further step forward, not some massive leap, but I think he'll be just from like a conditioning standpoint and a physical standpoint, probably uphold, up, be able to uphold himself a little bit better. Yeah, I, I would go with Meech's. I, I agree with the, the four, and then my fifth would be Meech as well. And I think he's kind of like Alex Atkins' guy, right? Like he's a guy that he, he coached at Charlotte and then brought to Florida State and knows the system very well. Obviously started, I think, every game last year. So, um, yeah, him getting his waiver, I think he's going to be a, a dude for them, top five offensive lineman. Roddick's right there for me, too, as a guard. Like, yeah. I, I do like – I don't think he's a very good center, personally. Um, or at least coming off the spring, I didn't come away thinking, I want that guy to be the center. I'll put it that way. Well, but I do think he can be a really, really good guard. Do you? Uh, I, I think in a vacuum, I like Roddick better at guard than I like Demetri Emanuel. But you also – Emanuel's been in Alex Atkins' system for – this will be his third season now. He was an all-ACC performer last year. Like, it's t- tough to, like, to potentially bench him. It's <laughs> just – they they have uh I don't want to say a wealth of depth but but they do have depth and like for the first time in a long time where you feel good about it we're having good conversations uh, about where they where they can be at we kind of glanced over like Darius Washington like he was good at the end of last season he was good this spring he was probably their second or third best lineman this spring after Bless Harris who emerged I mean they they are in they are in good shape and that's before we even get to Jalen Early and um, Julian Armella and some of the other guys. I am interested. Last year, there were some games where everybody played 65 snaps on that line. You know, five guys, 65 snaps each all game. There's something to continuity within a game and a rhythm that I think a group's able to establish as they get the understanding of what they're facing across their face mask. Um, but I also am interested if FSU maybe does like the insertion of three that have been playing to get plugged in for a series or two mm-hmm. just to give guys a chance to get a breather. I'm interested how much they kind of play with that, with the fact that they do have guys they probably feel very, very comfortable with plugging into those roles. If you are seven, eight deep at the top tier of what you think you can run out, guys who are very capable starter types. So I'm interested how Atkins and Norvell kind of uh, handle that within the season. When, when we were at the high school coaching clinic, the Nike one in Orlando uh, back in February, there was one there was one uh, a speech or a presentation uh that was about like moving offensive alignment around in positions in game and I understand like that's at the high school level it's totally different schematically uh but it's something that is done at a at a lower at a lower of football like where you can move guys around based on what you're trying to do in certain plays and, and week to week and um that that is something that is done basically what I'm saying is like you can paint outside the box a little bit. Or go, or sorry, paint paint outside the lines. Color outside the lines. Think outside the box. It's your I show, think. buddy. 
Uh, anyways, yeah, I think there is a appetite to be creative and to maybe go with a rotation of guys and move guys around based on what you're trying to do schematically week to week uh, and, and move different guys into the game plan and keep everyone happy. Again, good problems to have. J13 Alley asks, how much Chattanooga whiskey are you going to need to get through this cycle now that there's no cap to official visits for players? Uh, that's a question to you guys. You're, you're on the bench far more than I am. I don't know if you want to sneak some Chattanooga whiskey with you onto the bench, but that may not be uh, the worst idea these days to, to help kill some time. Go ahead, Zach. I don't think it's going to change all that much because schools still have a limit as to how many official visitors they can have on campus. So that doesn't change. It's just that the players now have uh, more ability to take you know, more than five official visits uh, after July 1st. That rule goes into place. I think a lot of schools are going to be vetting whether to host guys and whether they have a legitimate shot because they don't want to waste an official visit on a guy that's just trying to get a free trip. I think obviously a lot of recruits are going to try that, right? Because I think if I was a recruit, I would do the same thing. If I could go out to USC for a weekend and go um, spend a weekend in, in Los Angeles, I think that would be pretty fun. But yeah, I think schools are going to be picky. I don't think it's going to change a whole, a whole lot. Um, you know, maybe some of the top kids in the country will take, you know, six, seven, eight official visits or something like that. But I wouldn't expect, you know, a ton of official visits to occur. I guess we'll see. But but that's my early take on it. With how FSU recruits evaluates and kind of, uh, you know, evaluates the mind and approach of a prospect that they're involved with. I think if a kid's in the game to take numerous officials well beyond the standard three to five type, I, I think, There'll there'll be exceptions to every rule, but I think in general, FSU would be like, yeah, we're good. Doesn't doesn't what it the unlimited official visits? What it'll probably like amp up the most is assuring that everyone's taking as many official visits as possible in the summertime. Uh but, yes, I think it will accelerate visits, and I think we've seen that, and that's been kind of a trend in recent years, even before this rule change. I think the other thing is as coaching and position coaches changes happen. If a kid's already, you know, essentially made his decision, taking his five and is comfortable, it now very much allows for them to have the openness of, well, I'm kind of kind of go through process again. It doesn't restrict them as it once did. I think that's an area where it will actually benefit the student athlete and not just in a greedy sense of, I just want to take trips. Ha, ha, one, E, two, eight, internally FSU. Oh boy. Internally, FSU internal feels very optimistic. Great question, man. Uh, very optimistic about their chances to make the college football playoffs this season. Uh, internally, they internal do feel optimistic. I would Mike say. Norvell mentioned it in his post game at the Cheese at Bowl for the first time, I believe, in his time at this program. He doesn't say things just the same. I agree. I don't know if they're saying like, oh, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to win this many games. They just feel really good about where their team's at and what they can do this season. They felt good about it last year. I think there's more optimism. They've been they've been pretty like on, on the nose with things. They thought they were probably going to win about six games in 2021. Slow start to the year. They won five. They thought they'd be better this past season. They were better this past season. They think they're going to be even better this year. So. Uh, the staff has bought up some goodwill with being realistic with itself, in my estimation. They feel good about where they're at right now as a program. Uh, th this is a fun exercise to think about. OS Noel MP asks, if things played out differently where Travis Hunter and Amarius Mims, two who are usually not mentioned on here, were Seminoles for 2022, would the team's record have been any different? Would your 2023 prediction change? 
uh, I, I would see, say yes and yes to that, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on, on where that would maybe change. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Hunter is an exceptional talent on both sides of the ball. Um, we're probably not having a Keon Coleman conversation if Hunter's here. Where, yeah, he's your team. You know, your, your secondary is a little bit more solidified and better. I don't know if you're pursuing a Fentrell Cypress, though, and I think Cypress is a great player. I'm very big on him. And Mims is a true prototypical tackle type, and those are tough to come by. There's only so many of them in college athletics. Um, I don't know if it changes your win-loss total, uh, but I, I, I think, yeah, those are exceptional talents. I think they put you in a position to be a little bit better. They also change the dynamics of what you have to go pursue, how you have to move resources around, how you have to kind of accumulate and build your roster. So, Chris, the yeah. thing about in – where I would say the win-loss record, like think about Wake Forest game last year, where yeah, when Darius hurt, went in there and, and he, you know, got he back was ready to, to had a bad in. moment. Yeah. yeah, you basically were ineffective for multiple series in a spit in a stretch there. Um, I remember thinking the NC State game was a game where those two guys. I remember thinking that at the time probably would make a difference there. So yeah, I think that that they probably give you one win more. Which one it is, I don't know, but they make you more competitive in those closer games that you lost. Jimbo Fisher always described Delvin Cook as a scoreboard lighter. And mm-hmm. to me, Travis Hunter is a scoreboard lighter. And those guys can change things really fast. They can take games that are close and, you know, say it's special teams or a quick play at the start of the offensive set. And suddenly it's not so close. And then, you know, in his case, he can play both sides of the ball. He goes and make a play on the other side of the ball. Game over. Like, you know, NC State, for example. NC State's a game where FSC stalled out, played miserably, allowed a kid who couldn't really throw the football to beat him in the second half. Does a Travis Hunter change that game when FSU did stall out? He might. He has that kind of dynamic talent. And I'm not trying to make too much of him because I don't really enjoy talking about him. But, you know, he is extremely talented. It can make a difference. So, yeah, it could have changed it, but could have, would have, should have type of thing. I think I think it would have changed. Two observations I made on this podcast. Brendan, you really never blink. And, Chris, how deep is the microphone in your beard? Pretty deep. Pretty deep. Kid show. Am I blinking enough for you? It's better. I mean, I'm I'm running point on a lot of things here. I'm having to. No, it's just a little freaky when you're like asking a question. You don't blink for five minutes straight. I'm sorry that my eyes don't get watery all the time. I don't know what you want me to do about that. Oh, I guess I should. You're not going to comment on the topic. You just want to make fun of. I did. J Rod. Nope. Too late. J Rod. Thirty one. What direction do you see FSU going with the remainder of their scholarship? Seems like Barker could be one, but do they go Coleman, Franklin route after that, or another safety? So if they get Barker, that puts them at what eighty one. I'm adding him Roughly. now. Well, hang on, guys. I'm adding Destin Hill. I'm doing it right now. I'm adding Destin Hill, Destin Hill to the wide receivers, giving them ten. Don't call. Don't count my scholarships. Wow, Destin Hill's been added to this, guys. This is uh, this is a big moment. And then if you add Barker, that gives you another safety, and that would give you 83 uh, as far as what I can tell, give or take one right. or two. So say we have two or three spots. I think safety, obviously, and wide receiver are still priorities. I think if you got that extra spot, you maybe save it for a grad transfer, a kid that comes available here at the end of the market that you didn't know would be available in the current market because I don't think they're in love with the current market. I still think it would benefit them to get a veteran linebacker just to beef up that room a little bit further from a depth standpoint. I think Zach would agree with me. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think they're always going to be in the market for another safety. That's priority number one. They have to to get another one before the season. Um, I think that could come via the the grad transfer market because that can happen at at any point, as we know, right? Like grad transfers aren't 
limited to entering before the May 1st deadline. So uh, I think we'll see some some guys enter over the next couple of months and maybe FSU will get involved. Um, but yeah, I think receiver seems like they're they're dead set on adding one, whether that's Coleman or they, they shift their focus on Zakari Franklin. If that goes south, we'll see. But I think with Micah Pittman leaving um, and, you know, obviously – a guy like uh, Pokey Wilson moving on and, and Malik McLean transferring out, I think they probably want to add at least one receiver um, to that room. And I think they've got some good options on the board right now. So, yeah, I agree. I got a water bottle and I'm going to spray my face so I can blink more because my eyes aren't so dry. What if it's not water? <laughs> what is going on? My mom just had it laying around. I don't know. Uh, Scranton Knoll. Scranton, what the electric city? Uh, if Rodemaker doesn't start in Dublin, would it be a transfer or current current roster quarterback making the start? I mean, if it's not Tate Rodemaker starting for you in 2024, I, I don't think it would be a redshirt freshman Brock Glenn. I, I'm not really feeling AJ Duffy as a guy who's going to make a huge leap at this moment. I, I need to see more from him in, until I could feel that way. What about true freshman Luke Cromanhawk? I think that would be ambitious. I don't know if a true freshman has ever started for Mike Norvell, and certainly not the first game in his in his college career. So I would think it would probably, if it's not Rodemaker, I think it's more likely to be a – I think Rodemaker and Duffy would transfer out and you'd get like a redshirt senior type of transfer and then you would let Brock Glenn and Krummenhawk battle out for reps later in the year or in 2025. How's that for getting ahead of ourselves? I just very ahead of ourselves. Out of the program. I just added someone. I just – quarterback I, battle in 2025. That's what we're I I think I agree with your hypothesis and your theory there, but I uh, I don't wholeheartedly bet against Brooklyn either. I am a fan. Okay. I think he's got the right mental makeup. I think he will very much absorb a great deal this year. The issue there would be general lack of experience. Well, I like this in, in the comments section. We've got William McCl- McMillan saying, Sertan, step up or be fired. He hasn't coached a game yet at Florida State. so it feels- We always got to have somebody in the target. Uh, but like we're jumping ahead to all sorts of stuff right now. We got quarterback battles for 2025. We're firing coaches before they've even. I remember when we fired Chris Thompson. He's having a pretty damn good year. Uh, Chris Thompson comeback tour. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Brower Knoll 15. You're on death row. What's your final meal? I think it's your last meal. Hmm. Steak from the Drover. What's the Drover? Is that in Omaha? Omaha? It's in Omaha. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I was going to start with a steak too. I think that's my protein of choice. Steak and fried chicken. Um, Mac and cheese. Not one that I would make myself. Maybe a baked potato. I'm going to carbo load. I, whatever it is, I want to expel some serious nasty poop to someone to have to clean up after I'm killed. Dude. There goes a one-star review. Um, no, I think uh, I would go with like, I don't know. I've been getting this thing at Longhorn recently. It's like a Parmesan crusted chicken it's so good um i really like that and then probably so, yeah some good mac and cheese and maybe some uh i got a loaded baked potato at longhorn too that was good so you're <laughs> yeah my final meals at Longhorn. i feel like recency bias really just played into zach's final meal which, i don't yeah i, mean, I don't I'm know how here. to take that i don't really have a go-to meal i haven't had the drover <laughs> in a long ass time and i still think about it quite often that's not oh you know bias. what that, that's what's a Chris, what's that? True. Um, what's the barbecue place we went to at NC State? Uh, NC State. Oh, uh, oh, was it the pig? Uh, pig pit. I don't the know. Pit? Might have that, been the pit. Yeah, I think it was the pit. That dude. 
I got some uh, a brisket burger there. That was one of the best meals I've ever had. Maybe that's what I would get. Smoking pigs up there too, in Clinton. It's always pig. worth it. Smoking pig is pretty pretty great. I don't think if you're on death row though, you can go like, oh, I want this specific meal from this place. I think it's just like whatever they can prepare for you in house, right? I hope taxpayer money isn't going to like going out to Omaha to get a steak back for someone who's about to Omaha. electrocuted. Uh, let's see. Wojo 34. Not sure if this was ever talked about. It seemed a bit hush hush. Where was Johnny for our spring game and why was it so hush hush? He's one of our stars and it seemed a bit odd. Uh, he was abducted by aliens and whether he's found again, we don't know, man. No, he, he was dealing with something needed to be cleaned up and he's fine. We're not allowed to talk about injuries. Uh, for trade-off of having practice access during actual practice. Uh, now that's the off season, we can confirm through reporting that uh, he had something to clean up. He should be fine for the season. No one's worried about it. He's Listen, all good. If if it was something to be worried about, we would tell you guys. I think he hosted Keon Coleman. Oh. He's still alive. Whoa, Chris. TB. TB. I, I just. I mean, that basically sounded like a missing person report question. So I just wanted to fill him in. Going back to the getting ahead of ourselves uh, type of scenarios, TB3, Golf 714, what job in college football, if any, do you think Norvell would leave FSU for? So I do think, uh, while you guys ponder this, and basically we're just asking like what jobs are, are so much of a tier above Florida State would, would be hard to say no to, probably like Alabama and Georgia. Uh, Ohio, State. Ohio State. Michigan, like just from a, a – facility and, and income standpoint but I, I think he's really happy at florida state and i think he's gotten a taste for like when this thing is humming and running correctly which it is in that range right now like you see the amount of recruits you're getting on campus you see what the recruiting results are looking like uh, you're seeing the type of players you're able to attract you're seeing what boosters are starting to do and stepping up when this place is operating at, at a high functioning level it, it's pretty damn good uh, so to answer the question, man, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like if Georgia came to run out a bunch of money, it would make anyone think about it. But I don't think like this isn't Jimbo Fisher where we're going to probably have to be covering if he starts being successful uh, contract negotiation updates every single offseason or, or late in the season. I, just, I don't think that's how that's going to operate here. Yeah, when he when the new contract was under negotiation in quotations, I was told it was insanely easy to deal with Mike Norvell on that, that he kind of stated what he wanted for himself, for his program, for his staff, for what they're trying to do as an athletic program specific to football. Those things were easily agreed upon. He agreed upon them and, you know, next order of business. It wasn't some like eyeing a piggy bank that's bigger than what you can get and being unhappy. I've not heard Mike Norvell or through – the channels heard frustration from him regarding things. And usually with Mike, I feel like he's a guy that if something is frustrating him, he's going to address it pretty accordingly and get it resolved. And he's reasonable. I don't think there's a wandering eye with the guy. There are great jobs in college football and FSU was one of them. There's obviously some that have bigger banks, bigger money, bigger history because they've been around longer, things of that sort. But I don't think he's in a rush to depart stage left at all. I'm with you, Chris. Noel Biz asks, looking at our roster, it makes sense why we would play more five defense alignment formation, but how does slash will that look against the offenses we will play? Um, so I, I think look at the Philadelphia Eagles, what they did last year, and they used a lot of bear formations and 
uh, Hassan Reddick was kind of like that fifth defensive lineman, whether he's a linebacker or defensive end, like I really wanted to find him. He he was someone that had like pass rush uh, responsibilities and Philly would use like three true defensive tackles and formations. And I think that's kind of like what we'd be looking at for Florida state. Like, I don't even know if they'd be going with five man fronts a ton, but like potential four man fronts with three defensive tackle types, like a Braden Fisk or Dennis Briggs is defensive end. I think that that's kind of what you start to, to think about and scheme wise, like what you can do with your strengths, what you have on the rosters, you have Jared verse, you have a lot of really strong defensive tackle depth with different body types there. Uh, and then you kind of fill in the, the blanks from there. But it's been shown in the last couple of years, like NFL teams can be really heavy with their their defensive line personnel and still get a good pass rush, which I think you see FSU and, and other college teams take pages out from that. Um, damn, this Owens guy is, is calling us out. And he's yeah, running. Owens, uh, cool down a bit, buddy. You, you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Whoa, damn. Let's just go there, okay? I'm just saying no one's spent a lot of time. I've covered the program for 20 years. I've been around it for 30 years. I can tell you a hell of a lot of history about this place. I can also tell you a hell of a lot of stories I've broken around this place. So, Owens, go calm down. I'm sorry I'm wearing a Dolphin shirt and not an FSU shirt. Sorry. Like, oh, you know, not really supposed to be cheering for the team that you cover. So, calm down over there, buddy. Go find something else. Damn. I was going to make fun of him wasting a lot of energy on us, but I think we just wasted it back on him. Jay Knowles, 07. Is there a need to move a corner to safety? If so, who will it be? And why is it Azaria Thomas? Well, that feels like a leading question. <laughs> uh, I think the preference is not to. I think those discussions were had both pre-spring and post-spring. Um, that's why I think they're in the market trying to find safeties and resolve that issue. Okay. I, I think I'm with you, Chris. I mean, I think Azaria Thomas would make sense if you go through the next you know, month without adding a safety, whether it's someone currently in the, in the transfer portal or maybe a grad transfer. Um, but I think if you have to, like, I would look at like maybe like a Kevin Knowles because he played some safety last year. Azaria Thomas would uh, pre-snap uh, go from corner to safety a few times last year. So uh, there are a handful of guys who would make sense if that's what you ultimately have to get to, uh, which makes it like really like I am looking forward very much so to seeing a Conrad Hussey, maybe Edwin Joseph, if he plays safety, I'm not sure he will. And then Barker, like all in person to see if those are guys who can maybe help you like in the two deep at some point this season. Um, anywho, uh, I was just kind of stalling as I was getting all of Chris's uh, hives standing up there. Much, much appreciated the support guys. Uh, Doc holiday 11. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We got a letter. Wonder who it's from. Oh, sorry. I didn't read that ahead of time. My bad. Jackson 004, who is your pick for most improved player in 2023? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Tron's an early leader because the consistency is finally there in his game. He showed that in the spring. Um, and and if you know they don't get a Keon Coleman, don't get a Zakari Franklin, he's probably going to be thrust into that number two role. I think he can live up to it, but you're obviously thrusting him into that role. Uh Defensively, I think Dennis Briggs. I don't. I'm not saying he's taking a big leap. I just think Dennis Briggs may finally get back to being consistently what he is capable of being. He showed it in flashes last year. Oklahoma comes to mind for me. That game in particular, and there were really good elements to Dennis's game before the Louisville cheap shot that put him out basically for a year and hindered him a great deal. I'm not trying to say he's going to become an all-time starter or anything. Nothing of that sort. I just think. I think there's value to Dennis Briggs' game. Brendan actually wrote about this, like, what, seven, ten days ago. 
I think he may more consistently show that because I think he may be back to his old self. I think it's on defense, Greedy Vance. Um, I think he's a guy that really showed in the spring that he can be um, a lockdown, you know, nickel corner um, and a guy that, that Florida State is high on heading into this year. Um, and then on offense, I I go draw on the king of the spring. I mean, he's a guy that, that flashed last year several times, right? Like he had multiple um, big plays, but I think he's going to be a more consistent performer for Florida State in 2023 on a guy that's going to, you know, emerge into to one of their best playmakers on offense. What are your guys' thoughts on Johnny Wilson maybe being the most improved player if he if he jumps to another tier? Because he was excellent in the spring. And I know he had 800 receiving yards last year and was really good, but what if he goes to, like, 1,200 and becomes a preeminent wide receiver? I mean, he's definitely added more to his game, right? He's mm-hmm. not just a, a you know, get down the field and, and catch a ball deep kind of guy like he can work the intermediate stuff now um he showed in the spring that that's he's way more comfortable doing that obviously the back shoulder fade is is kind of um what he's been known for uh, especially in, in practice um but yeah i think he's a i think he's added a lot to his game i could see him improving a ton you know 400 yards in, the, in this offense and you know that they, they like to spread it around but but i think it's possible Sawdog father says mailbag sponsored by turner group Group. Did you know it takes an average of 700 grapes to make one bottle of wine? Now you do. Okay. Sorry, Colin. No fan, 1999. Got a bottle of Chattanooga whiskey. God, I love just the shameless sponsorship plugs. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Got a bottle of Chattanooga whiskey for my mom on Mother's Day, and she loved it. Awesome. Uh, we'll be getting more bottles in the future as gifts and for personal consumption. My man. My question is, what do I need to do or say to make sure that y'all get the credit for sale? Would have never bought a bottle if it wasn't for a sponsorship of your podcast. Just want to give you all credit. Well, thank you. I don't know. We're, we're working on that. But they know that people have called in uh, the head of Chattanooga Whiskey to be like, yo, we've heard you on, on the bench. So that's good that it, it's working out. Just just let them know. Maybe on their website, uh, drop a line. Uh, Dustin Knoll, is the office overrated? No. No, it's not. Hmm. Okay, this is from OZ5602, Byers Known, sponsored by Turner Group. FSU finishes the season with more wins, including postseason, than UM and UF keep. All right, wait. Punctuation. Dude. Keep in mind that it was close last year. UM and UF had combined 11 wins, FSU had 10. So, Byers Known, FSU has more wins this season than UF and UM combined. Are we including postseason wins potentially for FSU? I'm sorry, I was busy blocking somebody. Oh, you um, blocked him? Oh, he was entertaining. What I want was to read question? it. What was the question? It, uh, do you I think was... Florida State's going to have more wins this upcoming season than Florida and Miami combined? No, I, I, I was known that in the buyer's known. Uh, I, I don't think either of those are going to be juggernauts, but I mean. If they say they both go 500, that's 12 wins. I'm not sure FSU gets 12 or more wins. Um, so, yeah, what do you think, Chris? Who do you think is more likely to go below 500? US I think Florida is more likely to go below 500. I think they have more holes currently. I think they obviously have questions at quarterback. If it's Graham Mertz and there's a ceiling to that, I, I just think they're a program that very much feels very heavily in transition um, coming out of last year going into this year. And I don't think the portal hunting has gone as they probably have hoped over there in Gainesville. 
Ryan says, I thought you were going to read the questions beforehand. Ryan's very astute. He's paying way too close of attention to, to everything that I'm saying. And I don't appreciate that. I don't like being held accountable from being totally honest. Get him knee. Sunday gold. What is our third toughest opponent? What team on our schedule is going to be the most improved from last year that we're not expecting? Um, all right. So obviously LSU and Clemson are one, a one B. Those are the two toughest games. Third game. Well, here he has for most improved. One game I've been thinking about that's, that scares me a little bit, and I've thought about this a few times recently. Shocking that my anxiety would, would lead to this point. At Pitt in November uh, doesn't make me feel great. You just know that defense is going to be well coached. They got Jerkovic at quarterback now. It's going to be on the road. It's going to be chilly, windy, probably off the river. Like I just that that game to me is one that has potential late late in the season to be a trap game. But as far as like a your third best opponent, I don't know. I, I mean, I find the schedule to be kind of soft, to be perfectly honest, after the two that we've mentioned. Um, yeah, I think Florida's in a rebuild. Miami might be a little bit better, mainly playing more consistent football than they did a season ago, but I don't think they're going to take a big leap. BC was dreadful a year ago. Truthfully, I haven't dived in on VT and what they are under Brent Pry. I just haven't gotten there. I haven't cared enough to this point in time. Southern Miss, isn't it? So, I don't know. I don't have one that jumps out at me, to be perfectly honest. Pitt's a little, uh, traditionally under Narduzzi, a little bit, you know, good one week and bad the next with the same exact team, same exact personnel, and playing somewhat similar opponents sometimes. It, they're just kind of weird. They are capable of beating good teams. Though. They have shown that under his guidance. I think Wake, people are writing them off because they lose Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry, but I think if Dave Clawson's shown anything, it's they can come out and, and surprise you. Um, and I think, you know, they'll, they'll find some playmakers to work with. Obviously, they signed a guy like Micah Mays out of South Florida last year. I don't know if he's ready to make an immediate impact, but I was really high on him. And I think they could be a sneaky team. I don't know if they're the third best team, um, but I agree with Brendan. I think the pick game, you circle that one in, in late November or early November um, could be a snow game. You know, we'll see. But yeah. I mean, they're they're always a, a tough coach team, and and you know I don't know if they have the the talent that that's close to to Florida State right now, but I think they could be sneaky good. Somebody yeah. mentioned Wake. I I, I think Wake's in a program that probably takes a slight step back from what they were, largely because of a change at the quarterback position. I just said that. I know, but I was just mentioning that somebody said it. Somebody said Khalil Young said I would say Pitt Miami Wake. I just okay, never mind. Zach, I'm agreeing with you, buddy. You're right. No, I was. I'm going to let Owen back in here. <laughs> I've had it. Owen, knowing you didn't, <laughs> we should probably end this soon. Danny Cronin, seven, Byer Sinone, one of Edwin Joseph or Conrad Hussey, solidly in our two deep at some position by some point this season. I like that he left it vague there. Right. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, I think Hussey's very capable of being a contributing safety for them. I think they, I think the the staff thinks that that Edwin Joseph could be a guy that could contribute at, at either corner or nickel very, very early in his career. They really like Edwin a lot. Yeah. Uh, who, who? Okay, let's put it here. Here you go, guys. Who is the player you're most excited to see of all the early or all the midsummer enrollees? And we'll include Destin Hill in this too. I you I don't think this answer could not be done. I mean, all right, anyone outside of Destin Hill? Okay, yeah. I, I think like I'm so excited to see what he looks like. That's the the most uh, intriguing one. But besides him, for me, I mean, who are they adding? It's Hussey, Joseph, K- 
Chris Otto. Blake, Blake um, Nicholson. Blake Nicholson. Yeah, I think Blake Nicholson, actually. Because you want to see if he can be a guy that can help you in the 2D, possibly this upcoming year at linebacker. Um, or he's going to need some time. Or if he's going to need some time to, to develop. But, yeah, I think he's the, probably the most important. And then, you know, Connor Hussey is also very important at the safety position, especially if they struggle to add another more experienced guy to help in that room this upcoming year. Yeah, I don't want to say the exact same thing Zach said again because he might yell at me, but it would be Hill, Nicholson, Hussey for me in that order. Uh, someone mentioned um, Hill and Nicholson and Hussey in the chat, and I think that's important. <laughs> I uh, wish Rob I could Al- block Zach. Rob Alvarez, we can watch. Rob Alvarez uh, <laughs> brought up Rawls. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's someone long-term. I'd be interested to see uh, Barker, if he ends up making it, which we assume he will. Like, I'm actually very interested to see him with his his skill set. I think that could have been a hidden gem that they hit on. Uh, but I think Edwin Joseph would be my answer. It's just he uh, – he, I think has there's an excitement level with him internally when they got him that I think is pretty, like, telling with how the, the coaching staff feels about what he can develop into and, and some of the raw tools that he has. With guys uh, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add real quick with guys like Edwin and Blake. I think the most interesting thing is the athleticism when they're on the field with a lot of guys at this level, mm-hmm. how it kind of shows out. That That's something that makes you go real quick, like, oh, wow, it really does fit, or it's going to be a little bit. He's got to learn some more fundamental techniques and stuff. Like, how much can he just live off the athleticism out of the gate? Hey, Khalil Young says Joseph is much more athletic than, than Kevin Knowles. He's also like a longer version of Kevin Knowles too. Like just the yeah. arm length, I think is, is probably if you had the chance to measure the two arm width, uh, more substantial there. Danny Cronin seven. This will be our last question here before we wrap things up. Asks fittingly is Destin Hiller a most physically put together looking receiver outside of Johnny Wilson. So Zach, I'll let you answer this. And then Chris, uh, you weren't able to, to talk about it in the podcast this weekend when we talked about the Destin Hill kind of emergency pod, but just like that in your coverage, per, like history and your perspective as someone who, who mentioned his credentials earlier, just to see something crazy like that happening, uh, actually coming to fruition, him arriving here. But Zach, go ahead first. Uh, is Destin Hill most physically put together looking receiver outside of Johnny Wilson? Yeah, I don't know what that really means, but... Like, is, um... he, is he... Is he big? Is he bulky? I mean, he looked he looked like a guy that's in shape. I don't know, you know. I think there's a difference between you know being physically in shape and uh, being in shape to play football. Um, so we don't know that. Obviously, he hasn't played football in two years. I mean, FSU has a lot of like lanky receivers. I mean, like Kentron Portier is not the most like physically imposing receiver, but he's a guy that I think is pretty athletic and can go up and get the ball. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think someone on FSC's roster, I'm probably forgetting someone. Someone in the slot maybe is more uh, physically impressive. Hakeem Williams? Yeah, that's who came to mind for me. Yeah, I would have known that. But I think he's a guy that I'm really interested to see how he moves. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, he didn't show up with a dad bod. That was good news. Like, I feel like he's a guy that's probably got to get his conditioning under him. He hasn't done a whole lot of football, true football, in a couple years. But he didn't look like a guy that's got a big hole to climb out of as far as physicality, ways put together, ways carrying weight and stuff. Um, as far as that whole saga come to a conclusion, I'm shocked he showed up on campus just because historically that doesn't happen in those situations. You know, I was thinking about Keon Joyner, Shavar Manuel, Callahan Bright, uh, Deshaun Platt. There's plenty of, you know, Manny Rogers in recent years. There's plenty of examples throughout the last 20 years I can think of of guys who were supposed to be here that never got here. 
Um, and he did. And for somebody this day and age and social media to just essentially disappear for two years, as he did from pretty much every platform contact that we were able to have with him, stuff of that sort, it's just kind of mind blowing. Um, yeah. And here we are. I, I think it's a very interesting dynamic how FSU is so stuck with him. Uh, I will share a story that I don't know I've previously shared. We were at ACC kickoff. I think it was two kickoffs ago. I asked Mike Norvell outside of the main meeting room, you know, essentially, do you expect Destin Hill? The answer was no, not in the immediate future. Should I write him off? No, I wouldn't do that. That was last. And, that was last ACC kickoff. Was so it last one? How long so, the saga lasted? Saga. So it's it's one of those things where like they were consistent with it. It wasn't one of these things where I think him making it surprised them as much. I think you know David Johnson, Mike Norvell, that staff in general allowed it to play out. Had patience with it, and it you know it turned out the kid showed up, and now we'll see how it turns out on the field with him. But there's talent there. When they signed him, he was exceptional. He was the best player they'd signed to date at FSU. Uh, they don't have as much of the need for him today as they did then because the roster is drastically better, but you always take talent. Being greedy is good. All right. I, I promised the last question, but we've had two people ask about the Daryl Jackson waiver in the chat. Bradley says, where's the temperature on Jackson? How much longer before this is a legit concern? I've mentioned this before. The Jordan Travis waiver, when he came in from Louisville, uh, went until – the day before camp started, I think I was at jury duty when that broke and Chris and I drove down to IMG back when FSU was having its football practices at IMG uh, for preseason camp. So uh, to answer your question, like that went until August. I think, uh, I think there's a few different points in the waiver process. Um, If his, so I was told like right around this time to late May could be, the first decision that comes about in his waiver, whether it gets, you know, initially accepted or denied, if it gets denied Florida state will appeal it. Like I know that for a fact, um, the appeal process will take multiple months. Um, I think, like you said, I think this comes to an end, you know, one way or another, as far as the, the final decision in August, I think that's the, the final point. Um, but an, an early decision, as far as like the, the first, uh, point in, in this process could come uh, this month in May. That's good. Because uh, of hoops, I dug into the two-time transfers a little bit more because FSU was involved with some bigs who were all dealing with that. Efton Reed, who went to Wake Forest, Moose and Sissy, who went to Old Miss, a couple others. And the exact waiver page in the academic and membership affairs from the NCAA says that an undergraduate transfer waiver will only in bold be considered for student athletes to transfer for reasons related to the student athlete physical or mental health and well-being. I think, you know, family sickness also in the mental health probably to a degree due to exigent circumstances outside the student athlete's control, you know, discrimination, physical or some other kind of abuse or assault um, or assertions involved diagnosed education impacting disabilities. So something where, the school I was at couldn't provide what I need from an education standpoint. I need to go to this place instead. So that's what it says. We'll see how stringent they are with it. They're going to deal with it a ton. Um, it's very prevalent right now in hoops, less so in football, but this is an example in football. Uh, feedback I got back when he he committed and, and enrolled was that FSU was optimistic, very optimistic, and they thought they had a pretty good shot and that most – most of the times in football, those kind of waivers were went through like at a pretty overwhelming 75, 85% of the time. Um, one thing worth noting is I don't know how 
you know, some of the antics from the Josh Farmer saga and him being public on that, if they hurt him or not. I don't know. That, that is probably worthwhile to discuss, but ultimately I don't think it probably does. His, his documentation of having a family member who is sick and to be closer to that family member, like, and has health issues like that, that will probably be legitimate. And I would imagine FSU still feels good. So that's how we end the podcast here. It's kind of on a not fun note. Yay. Anything else, guys? No, we're good. Okay. Well, let's end it then. I want to thank Chattanooga Whiskey, our sponsor, as well as the Turner Group for this mailbag episode. Chris Nee, Zach Blostein joined me today. Thanks, fellas. I'm Brendan Snow. it has been On the Bench. We'll talk to you guys later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.